This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Becca. Hi, Intertrekkies. Hi, Intertrekkies. Hi, new listeners. This is very exciting. Um, hi, women at Warp. Thanks for having us on. Yes, and and hello, live audience. Oh, my God. This is our first ever live podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I have to say I'm a little nervous. But I'm Me very too, excited. But we're fine. That's great. Um, what is our topic today, Becca? Oh, wow. Okay. So our topic today is seeking asylum in the Trek universe. So that means that we're looking at times when Star Trek has talked about or had characters who are seeking asylum, who are refugees, um, and mm-hmm. what what happened? Like, how did, how did Trek handle that? Yeah. And we want to find a few terms in the beginning. We started out just looking at asylum seekers. And as we were researching this, we realized that we did want to talk about refugees a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, in my mind, asylum seekers were always people who were sort of being oppressed and were running from someone like an entity or a person who was trying to hurt them in their home country. And mm-hmm. refugees was more broad, like a refugee might be somebody fleeing a hurricane or a natural disaster. Um But we found that uh, internationally, those terms are defined a little bit differently. Yeah, there's so there's an organization called the International Rescue Committee that that keeps a lot of statistics and like does a lot of reporting on um, the status of refugees and asylum seekers internationally. And their definition of asylum seekers are people who have left their home and arrived in the in the country in which they're seeking asylum. So like for in this definition, technically people who are refugees but have not yet arrived at the place where they are they would like to seek mm-hmm. asylum are not yet asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then refugees are really just anybody. So kind of the refugees is the umbrella term and then asylum seekers is this kind of specific category of people who have already arrived and where they want to have asylum. Um, but I think that co- like colloquially or whatever in, in our everyday parlance, they're somewhat interchangeable. And um, and I think that we wanted to, yeah, we wanted to look at individuals as well as groups of people who have this mm-hmm. kind of status, like they are not safe where they are from and they need to yeah. find refuge elsewhere. Did we, sorry, uh, <laughs> did we want to say at the beginning what kind of inspired us to look at this topic? Oh, um, yeah. So uh, we were we were looking at what's going on in America and what has been going on over the course of the last four years, more than that probably, of uh, people trying to enter our country and then being held up at the border camps. Mm-hmm. Um, did you yeah. want to say more about that? Yeah. So the um really this shift started to happen in 2014 when people at the southern border started to shift from like individuals from mexico who wanted to emigrate into the united states whereas in in 2014 due to like political corruption uh gang violence like and and a couple hurricanes in especially guatemala and honduras and one other country I forget the name of, uh, that's in Central America, um, are like, there's a lot of people there whose lives are at risk because they they don't want to participate in gangs. They're like either forcibly recruited or killed, or they've been displaced because of natural disasters. And so this, this kind of trend of people from that region um, coming up to the southern border of the United States to seek refuge started in 2014 and has a, has had several kind of 
waves. I really hesitate to use the term surges, um, although that's something that the media like uses all the time in this context because it is very, uh, it's a kind of incendiary language that like mm -hmm. dehumanizes people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Yeah. And, and something that I've been thinking about is, because uh, I remember protesting shortly after uh, Trump became uh, president um, and thinking that this was going to get better or at least uh, how people were handled once they entered the country and how they were treated would improve um, under a different president. And I'm not positive that it has. Yeah, well, Yes. And I think that there are, I, I, I'm not like a huge Biden stan. So whatever. I think he's a better president than Trump yeah. by leaps and bounds. Um, and part of what is going on right now is that there's, so let me back up a little bit. It is legal to seek asylum by U.S. law and by international law. And we are in a pandemic. So a lot of like starting in the Trump administration and this has been extended into the Biden administration, people who arrive at the southern border seeking asylum right now are being put into kind of holding camps and not being like not able to engage in the asylum seeking process because of the pandemic. There's like a special legal status in the United States that says like in the case of a particular type of disaster of this kind, mm -hmm. we can shut down our border more so than we already do. Yeah. And Kamala Harris specifically asked people not to come. Yeah, this is the this is that's really the thing just, that kicked off this episode yeah. is like her speech. She went to Guatemala, she gave a speech which was broadcast in, on their like public radio. And in it, she said, do not come. So okay. <laughs> F you like. Um, so in, in light of all of that, uh, going through the episodes that we, we watched, do we want to say which ones we watched first or do we just want to like get into it? Um, yeah, I think let's let's just like do briefly like which episodes we watched. Um so we watched uh, Sanctuary on Deep Space Nine. Sorry, I'm like, you're ready. I haven't been live before, so I'm just like talking fast. Yeah, <laughs> do it. Uh, we watched Sanctuary on Deep Space Nine. Um, we watched uh, The Brightest Star from Short Treks, which is the one where we see how Saru joins Starfleet. Mm -hmm. uh, we watched The Masterpiece Society from The Next Generation. And we watched Cogenitor from Enterprise. Oh, and we watched Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night from Deep Space Nine. Yeah. I, this is like one of the most email, emo um, episode titles that I've encountered Wrongs Darker yeah. Than Death or Night. I'm just like, absolutely. And it's kind of an emo episode. So, um, yeah, no, we, we watched a bunch of episodes because we we're trying to get a sense of like what's, kind of like over the course of Star Trek's run, like what have asylum seekers, how have asylum seekers been treated? Mm -hmm. um, and I think like we can do kind of like broad themes and then go into individual episodes. Does that make sense to you? Sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, um, do we want to note the ones that we decided to cut out? Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, so we Go also ahead. watched we also watched generations um which said that it has yeah generations the movie which um is is not my favorite star trek movie uh but i but remember it's really really liking really. it and then in this rewatch being like wait that was boring and not much happened um and very very christmas <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, but it has it has refugees in it, but for like two seconds, and it yeah. is not really a major plot point. Um, it's not really pertinent. They're just sort of used as I think you were saying when we were prepping that they're used as props. Yeah, um, they're like the f so there's two sh refugee ships that are like in distress, and the brand new Enterprise, I think it's Enterprise B, um, 
is like in close range to them. They're the they're the closest ship, so they have to go like give them aid, and it's made more urgent that that this aid be provided because they are refugees, and that's like the only mention of refugees. And then right. their ships get destroyed by the Nexus, and we never hear about them again. So, right. okay. uh, yeah. And then we also thought about talking about. Um, the 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 Romulan refugees in Picard, yeah. But it, again, um, the show doesn't really explore their position as refugees. So, but if you want to watch another episode, you can go check that one out. Yeah, um, yeah. You, so, get a sen- you get a sense of malaise in the refugee camps, and but the, the episode itself really isn't about them. Um, mm-hmm. And except for Picard, kind of stirring up shirt for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Um so you said you wanted to talk about broader themes. I mm-hmm. I mean, how do you feel about it? Like I don't really feel like Starfleet has a very consistent position. Yeah. I mean, I think based on this collection of episodes that we watched, it seems like Starfleet's position is to grant asylum to people who request it unless they feel like it they don't want to (laughs) yeah it's kind of random it feels very random um yeah yeah and and i think we can revisit this you know toward the end of the episode but like my my theory is that they do it when it's convenient Mm -hmm. and when there's any reason why it's politically or politically is not the word i'm i'm looking for um I was going to say politically inconvenient, but I, I think what I mean is diplomatically inconvenient. Yeah. I mean, then, right, right. then they're willing to deny it. Um, yes. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Sanctuary? Yeah. All right. So Sanctuary, Deep Space Nine episode is um, there's these aliens called the Screens that have come through the wormhole looking for their new homeland, which has been mm-hmm. prophesied. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they're fleeing some sort of persecution, I believe, on their home planet. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. So, oh, sorry for interrupting. Yeah, it's it's a little, I'm not exactly sure what their situation is. Because they both say that they're farmers, which makes me think that, like, they live somewhere if they've been farming. But also that they've been oppressed and enslaved. Mm. Okay. So I don't know. Maybe they're just not running their own farms. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. We don't really get a lot of details. But um, yes, continue. <laughs> the the backstory part of their situation has left my mind. So I believe you. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they they ultimately they decide that Bajor is their prophesied homeland. And then a lot of the episode is them like trying to convince the Bajorans to let them settle in this kind of unpopulated area on Bajor that they they see as like possible fertile farmland. Um, but the Bajorans are, are on the other hand are like, yo, we can't have three million people just come and like settle on our planet right now. We already have a famine. We're still recovering from 50 years of Cardassian occupation. Like we can barely take care of ourselves. We will not be able to take care of you. And we don't want you to like come here and then just die. Um, yeah. Yeah. And something I've something I've been thinking about is like Bajor, I think, is not yet part of the Federation. They've they're like they've either applied for Federation membership or they're like going to apply for Federation membership. I think it there's a continuum of like where they are on that path throughout mm-hmm. the series. And I'm not exactly sure where they are in season two, but they are like not Federation members yet. Um but they kind of they pretend like they're considering it. Like they get a committee together, they talk it over, and then they're like, "No, obviously, three million people cannot come here. We just got rid of the Cardassians." And the show really, um, really wants you to side with Bajor. Like mm-hmm. I remember the first time I watched it, being like, "These people are ridiculous. Of course, they can't stay there." And, well, yeah, I mean, uh, I like, think the thing that I left out, I think that's an important point here, is that. Captain Sisko and like rest of the Starfleet officers have already found the Screens, an M-class planet that is uninhabited. 
that they could go to that's nearby. Right. So, yeah. Like, like there's the people were, were on it. Like they were immediately like, okay, there's this many of you. We need to find a place for you to live. Look, we found one conveniently an uninhabited planet or at least an uninhabited. I think they say an uninhabited planet. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. An is... uninhabited M class planet. And like when we were prepping for this, we were like, how likely is it that there's actually just like, all these M-class planets that are totally available. There's but whatever. so many. There's so many, like, just M-class planets just, like, lying around for people Whenever to it's convenient. They're like, oh, we need to land now. Oh, there's an M-class planet nearby. Uh, anyway. But the, the fact of that alternative just changes the stakes of this conversation entirely, right? Mm -hmm. Where... Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say the show really sets you up in the beginning to like, there's like 10 minutes of Kira walking around. Deal, sorry, my talk. <laughs> there's like 10 minutes of like Kira walking around, like dealing with all of the different problems that, the, that their society is going through before we even meet these aliens. So you're really like, oh, yeah, no, no, they can't handle other people. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have the M class planet. Um, yeah. But I think without, yeah, like without the M-class planet, it's a really a different conversation and more, I think, closer to what happens on this planet Earth where there really isn't uninhabited areas. Like, no, so, there aren't alternatives. Exactly. There's never, there's never like somewhere else that people can go. Like you have to acknowledge that like when you're migrating somebody's home is where you're migrating to and yet like something that you said in, in the prep like when you side with Bejor in this you feel like a republican oh yeah absolutely i'm like oh yeah we can't we can't take care of these screens like we have to take care of Bejor first which you know in contemporary american politics at least like the people who are saying that aren't always the people who are actually investing money in domestic projects right they're mm -hmm. the same people going like oh we're spending too much on welfare we shouldn't be spending money on the people here either yeah. um but yeah it made it made me feel like a republican i was like oh wow uh watching it this time sort of looking out for those issues as opposed to you know the first time i ever watched this episode and i wasn't really thinking critically I, I noticed that like, oh, it sort of set me up to feel like a conservative and be like, we don't have enough resources for these people. Um, mm -hmm. They do yeah. argue to the Bajorans that they're going to take care of themselves. But uh, I mean, I think I agree with the Bajorans that that's not really realistic. I think it would be challenging for them to handle like to handle themselves to like do the thing that they say they're going to do farm and like make it like fertile and blah, 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 self-sustaining. Um, and I think like, it's, it's hard to speculate about whether that particular like situation would play out that way or not. But what I do want to say is that like, what, as we reflect on how this plays out in actual reality, like immigrants coming to, a country, for example, like the United States, actually are an economic boon. And the fiction that like immigrants are stealing our jobs is yeah. very pernicious and not borne out by facts. Like it's just right. not how that works. And I think this leads a little bit into the brightest star in Saru's story. Oh, yeah. Where the thing that I pulled out from that is that Saru becoming a member of Starfleet is like the seed that ends up with Ka all of Kaminar and the Kelpians becoming an integral member of the Federation a thousand years later. Yeah. And I think it's really cool. And I think it's like, okay, we can see this and look at this and say like immigrants are good for the place that they immigrate to. Right. Also, Saru is like a genius and like he becomes like he's a temporary captain, like he's a first officer, like Starfleet gains so much from him. He speaks like nine different languages, like uh, the Federation. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. It's a, I just remember that it's a lot. Like when the... Um, 
when when the magic language box goes down, he's the only one who can understand all the other people on the ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the universal translator, the magic yeah. language box. The magic language box. Um, oh, can I say one more thing about Sanctuary before we really dive into the brightest star? Totally. So the other thing that's sort of complicating, the writers in the writer's room, I think, for Deep Space Nine are just like obsessed with Israel. I'm pretty sure because um, there are many times throughout the series where it seems like the Bajorans are Israelis and other times where it seems like the Bajorans are Palestinians. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people reflect on this. And in this episode... It seems like the Screans maybe are Jews because uh, they are looking at their holy text, which tells them that Bajor is supposed to be the place that they're going to. And so, and they, and the evidence is like pretty clear. Like you go through the wormhole, the planet on the other side of the wormhole is the place they're supposed to go to, which is why they want to reject the other M class planet and they're farmers and they want to settle on a, in a desert and they want to turn it into Mm. a lush area. So they're going to make the desert bloom. So they're just like these very clear kind of like themes there for people who are willing to look for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and in this instance, they didn't get to settle there. So I just think it's just like one more time that um, the writers of Deep Space Nine are looking at the idea of Jewish refugees just from like a different end. And this time it's not the Bajorans. This time it's the people coming to Bajor. Yeah, absolutely. I really do see that parallel. And I think like we've we've on our podcast before we've talked a bit about uh, i think we have an episode called space jews uh where mm-hmm. we talk about how the majorans may be jews um and i i think someday it would be interesting to talk more in depth about israel palestine um but for the sake of time yeah. i think we can I we can put a pin in that it. one but i do think yeah i like i i think that is a good observation for sure um, so can I read your summary for the brightest star? Yes. Okay. So, uh, I, I know we, we've begun to touch on it. Saru sends a signal to the universe and Giorgio answers. She grants him sanctuary in the Federation in exchange for never going home again. Mm-hmm. Sad. And so this, this is a short trek. So this is basically just, uh, Saru from discovery, his origin story. And, um, I mean, just yeah. other things to note, like the Kelpians are an oppressed people on their planet. They um, are routinely killed, I think, and eaten. It does seem like they're eaten. I feel like that's not explicitly said, but yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, and uh, Saru is facing the possibility. I mean, every time one of these cycles happens, he faces the possibility that he might be one of the ones to die. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's definitely sinking, seeking asylum sort of under the, even though he's not in the Federation yet and asking for asylum in, in like my colloquial understanding of it, like he is an oppressed person, like fleeing other people. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was, I got distracted because I remembered that we have a comment section. <laughs> I went over to look at the comment section. Um, Are people talking to us? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hi people. People said sorry, that. I'm looking at our own notes because I'm like. No, you're, you wanted to stay on track. I'm the one. Yeah. I had the little ADD moment there. Um, but. They, I love they, it. Well, let, let me know if you see a good question. I'm going to say some of the things that I feel like you were saying when we were prepping, which good. was that uh, the thing that you really stuck out to you about this episode is um, that seeking asylum means giving up your home. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a theme we see come up in other episodes. Um, it's possibly the only theme about asylum seekers that's or or refugees that's relevant from generations, which we're not really going to get into. But like, if there's anything going on, it was this homesickness that those people experienced. Um, And you already made your point about him being an example of uh, why asylum seekers are good for society. So, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no, but I think that like to expand a little bit on, that like giving up home I, it it's 
reflected in in the other episodes that we saw but like there's this tension right where you like people who are seeking asylum or who are refugees are leaving their home because their home because has become unlivable dangerous or something and saru's home is in this this kind of like it's very dangerous but every kelpian is killed and possibly eaten at some point in their life and they and yet like because it's kind of built in culturally and religiously they don't feel like they're under threat necessarily but saru doesn't want to do that he, he's like i would rather opt out of this i know i'm smart i can like monkey with technology uh from the baul and side note i have it is a very suspension of disbelief moment to believe that he could send a signal out to starfleet that the baul would not also get yeah which he's sending from their own piece of technology whatever it's okay my my it's fan fine. wanking is that they weren't looking for it they're just like those <laughs> Those guys don't know what they're doing. We're we're never we're never observing. I don't know. That's, yeah, that's what I decided. But you're, I think you're right. It's it's very suspect. But we don't we don't really well the thing that we don't really get from this episode or from the other time that it's mentioned that Saru is like granted asylum, which is in the episode called "The Sound of Thunder," I believe, um, is the actual process of him requesting asylum and then being mm -hmm. granted it. Um, mm -hmm. we just know that it happened. And so, yeah, I think it's conditional on this, like, you're never going to go home again. And I don't know how true that is for people who are granted asylum in the United States that they can never go home again. I mean, like they, they don't really want to because it's dangerous for them to do that. Right. But for people who are immigrants, people who are seeking permanent residency in the United States, it is very hard for them to go home again. Like mm -hmm. they can, but it often jeopardizes their immigration status. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in, in fact, like there are, um, there are a lot of uh, famous cases. Like when I was in law school, that I sort of like vaguely remember mm -hmm. of um, people who were uh, legal permanent residents, but had not been given citizenship who would go home to visit and then never be let back in. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it can it can definitely uh, jeopardize that process or like the laws were changed in the meantime. So like maybe they were citizens and then like the country gets racist and starts to be suspicious of a certain group. And like, why did you go back to Russia or like, why did you go back to China? We don't want your people here anymore. And then you can't get back in. So it can be it can be risky. And historically, it has been risky to return. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So masterpiece society. <laughs> oh yeah. So on the subject of people, I'm just like, like, I'm like we gotta go. We we, we gotta get so we gotta get moving. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. Usually when we're recording, we're a little bit more lackadaisical with the time. Um, anyway, so connecting this to masterpiece society, which is this TNG episode that we watched, like ultimately people do leave their home and like kind of also never to return. Um, mm -hmm. But backing up a little bit in this episode. There's like this group of human beings who left Earth to found their own society where they could genetically engineer themselves to be like perfect. Um, mm -hmm. And they live in a bubble on this planet that is th under threat, like by a loose stellar core fragment. Like it's mm -hmm. just like Star was like, sorry, I just realized because they're a genetically engineered society that doesn't have contact with others and they literally live in a bubble. So I was just la I just realized like they literally live in a bubble, but they also figuratively live in a bubble. They're very it's bubble. kind of I'm sorry for interrupting <laughs> you. That's what that's why I was laughing. Um, yeah, so, so they're all gonna die. Yeah, they're all going to die because their size, because like earthquakes are going to destroy their situation. And the enterprise is like, oh, well, they've been tracking this loose stellar core fragment. And then they they realize that this society is here and they go there and they're like, yo, earthquakes are going to come destroy your situation. We'll evacuate you mm -hmm. and are somewhat surprised to be like people being like, hmm. No, thanks. Uh, we'll stay. And, and, yeah, they do not. They yeah. do not want to be evacuated. So uh, they have to come up with a solution. 
um, which ends up with the scientist Hannah mm-hmm. uh, working with Jordy in order to come up with a solution, which which they do using technology from his his visor. Um, and then, uh, sorry, did you want to continue? I just started. Oh, no, do it. <laughs> yeah. And then um, Hannah... Uh, scientist Hannah Bates realizes that um, science is like way more advanced off of her planet and she wants to leave with the Enterprise so she asks for asylum and this causes a huge issue because not only are they all genetically engineered to just be great at their jobs they're also sort of genetically engineered to like perfectly fit together as a society like the society is this really fragile puzzle or mm-hmm. I don't know I was kind of imagining it like a Jenga tower and if like we take out one person the whole thing <laughs> is gonna fall apart so that they really the- don't they really don't want her to leave they don't want they I mean like they do not want anybody to leave and I think there's there's something to be investigated about the concept that you could have a perfected society where every single person only has their one specific role and there's never there's no redundancy and there's no like shift you, you like mid career job change or whatever um which i think is totally bogus but if we if we assume that this is how this works then yeah it will be really impactful negatively impactful to the society when the people who want to leave choose to leave. And it's not just Hannah Bates. It's like a, a right. number of other people too. For some reason, yeah, in order to implement like whatever changes they need to protect the bubble, they send down a bunch of engineers from the enterprise to work with engineers from bubble society. And all the engineers from bubble society like decide to leave. I think it's not all of them, but it's it's a lot. It's a lot of them. Yeah, it's, a, it's enough that even if, if we do like recognize a society where there's redundancy that they're probably losing some folks um and some capacity you know some actual capacity and so like despite these individuals seeking asylum there is some debate in the enterprise crew that they are going whether or not they're going to let them because the like the people in charge, this the the president slash tour guide that Deanna Troy falls in love with, and and like his right his friend or yeah, person so that he works with, which I na- who I named Dogma he's, Defender. He's <laughs> They're so like, no. Troy Troy for some reason like hooks up with this president Aaron Carter, who I agree he's also kind of the tour guide, um, <laughs> not Aaron Carter. Aaron Carter, Aaron Connor. (laughs) (laughs) Not a Backstreet Boy, too bad. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess, like, because they have this moment, they, like, fall in love, and so then she feels so guilty over exposing him to, I don't know, herself, that she Mm. then kind of takes his side in the war room. (laughs) She's like, yeah, no, like, do we really want to disrupt the society? There's, like, a lot of people, I think, in... Uh, Picard's little inner circle who give a lot of weight to maybe not granting these people asylum, which I think is ridiculous that they give um, that they're not just like, oh, these people want asylum. We have to take them, even though Mm -hmm. it's going to suck for this little colony. Yeah. Something that I noticed in this, in that debate is that Worf is like the first person who's immediately (laughs) like, yes, give them asylum. Yeah. <laughs> so he and like and they ultimately do get asylum. So finally Worf like wins the argument. I know. I know it's it's like there's like this ongoing trend of like Worf always being shut down or like Worf always taking the wrong position and mm-hmm. Picard always saying no to him and like finally he gets to be right in one episode. Wait, maybe that's um, why they debate it more than we think that they should have is because right, he's the they, one who's in favor of it. Right, they're like Worf thinks this is a good idea, it's got to be wrong. Oh no. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, okay, so what else? Oh, we did have an introduction from this episode, not related to asylum seeking, but um, somewhat of an ableism issue where they like they meet Jordy and he's blind, right? And he's got his visor, and they're like, "Oh, nobody, nobody in our society is blind. We have genetically altered people to uh, not have that happen to them." And it's just like, mm-hmm. Bleh. 
So they, yeah, so they never would, it would be like, if nobody has vision problems, you never would have invented glasses, right? So they never invent the visor and the visor technology ends up being integral to the solution somehow of um, saving them from the fragment that's going to destroy their colony. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, I wrote in my notes um, that the conclusion of this episode is that new ideas are as dangerous as seismic destruction. Uh, yeah, and it's like, okay, so the new ideas are dangerous to the society. I get, but like, I, uh, I don't know why any weight is given to this because like their society founded on eugenics. <laughs> and... Right. <laughs> <laughs> But like and, good eugenics, uh, yay! No, 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 and it's just like I just don't, uh, I just don't have any empathy for these people watching this episode. So it's like really hard for me to understand why the pe like why the core crew of the Enterprise is like really feeling for like the impact that this is going to have on their society. It's like I don't know, maybe figure it out, maybe train other people to do these jobs, maybe like. Just yeah, like, ask around, people. like, hey, are you tired of being a mediocre pianist? Like, maybe you want to be a really excellent engineer. <laughs> you could do you could do that. <laughs> I, I say that because in the middle of this episode, there's like a 16 year old playing the piano and mm -hmm. like everybody's like raptly paying attention. And I'm like, this is not even very good. piano. <laughs> no, it's not good. <laughs> Why? Uh, uh, just yeah, there's like their a, lives are a little boring. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There was a funny meme about that on STSP, um, where they were like, "We're a perfect society," and Troy's like, "What do you do for fun?" And they were like, "Piano recitals." And she's like, "No, you're wrong. You're not a perfect <laughs> society." <laughs> um, she seemed to be into it, but maybe she was just like, "Oh, I have a crush, so I'm gonna like do the things that he likes to do." Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so just, just keeping track so far, um, 3 million people, refugees trying to go to Bajor, not granted asylum. Um, one person who's super smart granted asylum. Saru. Mm -hmm. Saru. Uh, like 30 people, a handful of people from this eugenic society who we don't really know where they end up, but uh, want to leave the eugenic society. Nothing's really on the line politically. It's not a big burden. Granted asylum. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no like risk of this society, like leaving the Federation. They're a small colony of humans. And I think we were thinking about this in like terms of the prime directive, like how come the enterprise is okay. Just like beaming down being like, Hey, y'all are going to die. Um, and remembering that they're not actually aliens, they're humans. Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't matter in that case. Even though like, they're technologically less advanced, it's like right. the prime directive doesn't apply here. Although they seem to be thinking about it a lot, right? They're like, what kind of impact are we having um, yeah. by having sex with these people? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, right? Like that's what A true violation of the really prime directive. Yes. <laughs> boning the people you should not be boning. <laughs> <laughs> was he even cute he, they never are <laughs> you pointed out that okay so this is a bit of a side note but i'm gonna be very brief that like i ship troy and Riker hard mm -hmm. for my whole life and mm -hmm. uh i believe that they are like kind of the perfect example of a non-monogamous couple who's cool with the each like dating other people and in this Riker's like I don't know. He he's like keeping an eye on Troy. Like, oh, I see that you are attracted to President slash tour guide guy. Like, hey. Yeah, so 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 what it was. So you know, like the the canon is that they are exes and that they've broken up. And like your because they end up married later, and because of the way they interact on the show, like your head canon is that they're actually together in in an open relationship of some sort, right? Um, or that they're still involved somehow, but they're not exclusive or something. And yeah. they're in love you, whether they're actively yeah. like in a romantic relationship or not. But what made me think about it is that the president tour guide doesn't 
say goodbye to her or like break up with her, he gives the message to Riker to relay to her. He's Ooh. like, let her know, like, cause he's not going to see her again. And he's like, you know, just like, let her know that, you know, I'm going to miss her or whatever, but apologize that I couldn't say goodbye. And Riker's like, oh yeah, I'll pass that along. And I'm just like, does he know that he's talking to his metamorgue? <laughs> like, does, <laughs> has he sussed this out somehow? It was just, it was just really like, oh, I think that that was like one in favor of your theory that he knew that Riker was the guy to give that message to. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. And I want to bring it bring it back. There's a good question that we had in the comments, actually. Overall, how would you characterize or rate Federation's approach to asylum seekers, understanding there aren't tons of detailed examples? Um, and I, I can answer that, like, which I think generally they are inclined to grant or at least they are inclined to grant asylum and they are like it seems to be mandated that they at least hear out the uh, the request for asylum um so basically like giving people due process so i think where i where i land on this is that generally star the federation is like pro giving people asylum except for sometimes um and and yeah like you said in your question there isn't there isn't a ton of like really clear examples but i think that they're they're more inclined to do like kind of one-off like like a single individual being like hey um then they are for groups like they kind of want to find like, a different with solution the, for groups right because like what happened with the romulans like they didn't end like picard had to go to bat for them and they didn't end up helping them um yeah yeah. But let's talk yeah. about cogenitor because I think that this cogenitor is an example where somebody asked for asylum and was not granted asylum. Yeah. Um and we we need yeah. to give a content warning for 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 this um so uh there is a mention of uh suicide for one character. Um yeah, and this this like if you're yeah. So, so that, yeah, so if you're, if you're listening to this later, you know, skip ahead if you don't want to. Um, we're going to get into like darker topics, I guess, from here on out. True. Yes. So Cogenitor is an Enterprise episode, which means that maybe fewer people who are Trekkies have seen it because uh, this is not the most popular uh, series. And yet I think that this episode in particular is like one of the more focused notorious? on enterprise notorious yeah notorious is good um because it deals with gender and reproduction and uh i can do a like quick summary which is that the enterprise goes to check out like a nifty star and they encounter this sophisticated like friendly alien species who's got who are like more technologically advanced than the humans at this point um and they have three genders. They have like male and female, and they have a third gender that they call the cogenitors that are like approximately 3% of their population. So there's not very many of them. And I they, oh, oh I was just going to say, I think it's also accurate to say that they have three sexes, three right? Sexes. That I, I, yeah. Yes. That I, I think in this case, they have like three sexes and they have three they what they call genders in the episode mm -hmm. yeah that's sorry a good continue sex, sex and gender are somewhat synonymous but they're not exactly synonymous so you're right yeah three sexes i think is more accurate than three genders and they call them genders um so the cogenitors are required for reproduction you cannot have a baby if you're a vizian without the participation of a cogenitor and that what what comes to light is that the way that the cogenitors are treated in the society is basically they're they're kind of like kept pets if you want to be nice about it they're kind of like slaves if you want to like be less nice about it um they're barred from learning how to read they're not allowed to like really have hobbies or interests or friends it seems like like they're really just 
they're like assigned by the government to people who qualify to have a kid and then they stick around with the with that couple until the kid is had and then go on to the next couple apparently um yeah it's really like star trek meets the handmaid's tale and yes. um I, I feel like everyone's familiar with the handmaid's tale but if you aren't it's a society where there are a very small amount of fertile women who are assigned by the government to couples to help them conceive a child um, so it's kind of like taking that idea and being like, what if that idea were biological? Okay, let's write an episode about it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And it, so, tr so and Trip encounters, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just gonna, yeah, l let's finish the plot summary before I yeah. sort of go off on a little tangent. Cool. Uh, um, so, trip, so Trip, Trip makes friends, Trip makes friends with them, with the cogenitor. Exactly. Um, and teaches them how to read. Oh. Little note on pronouns here. We're using they, them for the cogenitor. In the episode, they mostly refer to the cogenitor as it, which seemed very uncomfortable for us. Um, and and Trip refers to them as her for the whole episode. He's just like, she feels like a she to me. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, so he teaches them how to read and befriends them and like puts on his white savior pants and is like, I don't like this. Um, and, and the cogenitor like becomes like really in like, she's like, Oh, trip, you're really cool. I like you a lot. I want your name. And he's like, actually, my name is Charles. Um, so they adopt the name Charles. Um, and then Charles like wants to, requests asylum on the enterprise because they want to continue learning how to read and like being a total a, a whole person um the the Vizian, the aliens get mad and they're like we do not like we need this person otherwise there's a baby that's not going to get born um and archer yeah. like Archer comes back from his little star trip with his friend and is like very, very angry. He's like, why did you give this person this idea? You're, you're messing up like this great relationship that we were going to develop with this more advanced um, people who are going to give us technology. Like you've caused like a whole incident, like you've messed up first contact. He does not grant asylum. And then Charles returns to the Vizian ship and Charles uh, commits suicide. And um, when Archer learns of that, Archer brings that, this is like more that we wrote down, in, but Archer brings that back to Tripp's attention and is like, this is your fault. It is your fault this person is dead. It is your fault this baby wasn't born. Um, which is like... Rough. Super messed up. Yes. Yeah. But I think, so... That is messed up, and there's a lot that we could say about gender stuff and and reproductive coercion, and, and we will kind of talk about those topics a little bit later. But in this, like, looking at it from this request for asylum was not granted, like, why was it not granted? And I think that where I land is that the reason is that the Vizians are more technologically advanced and would, like, the Enterprise would not win in a fight with them and it, they do kind of imply mm -hmm. that they will fight for this cogenitor mm -hmm. um and yeah so it, it, interesting because like if you watch all of the enterprise uh archer does a lot of like cowboy diplomacy he's like a little bit like kirk that way and there are other situations where he he would have gone to bat or he would have tried to fight, I think. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a whole season where he takes on this hugely technologically advanced empire as one ship to save the whole planet Earth. Like, sorry. Like, yeah. There are other times where he's willing to fight um, against all odds, and he is not willing to do that for this person. Like, and, and we're looking at a ship where they don't really have a concept of, of the prime directive yet. Mm. And there's not really a Federation yet. And it's just Archer as an earth ship. And he's like one man deciding whether or not to grant asylum or not. Or not. And he decides no. Cause like, 
I don't know. They want to have good contact with these guys. He he, he like with he wants people. to keep he wants to keep being friends with the guy he made friends with on the Star Trip, and it's like a little bit of a lame reason to not give somebody asylum. Um, but I, I also note, oh, oh sorry. go ahead. I just wanted to note like some interjections like really quickly about this episode. Like just one, I think the way that the cogenitors are portrayed. <laughs> Um, in terms of like our understanding of non-binary people and trans people now is just uh, like not accurate. And I know that Women at Warp does like a really great episode about that. Um, if you want to check out their backlog and learn more about that. The other thing I want to say is that I think the way that they're portrayed is very similar to women historically. Like they can't own property. They're treated like pets. They're necessary for reproduction. They're not allowed to learn to read. And um, and I think given all of those sort of data points, the episode was more trying to like draw a line to how women were treated in other societies and use this idea of a third gender to get at that. So it's yeah. like they're using these trans issues to talk about women kind of. Um, yeah. And I just wanted to, to note that stuff before we move on. Yeah, well, I think that that actually points to something that I wanted to say, which is that there's another point in... Star Trek in it, there's that TNG Enterprise um, that has the the neutral gender species. So, I'm blanking on the name, um, but there's a point where Riker's like, "Oh, we could give you asylum." Soren is the name of the person who's like of this agender species, but like oh, identifies outcast. as the outcast, identifies as female, and that's another time when like no asylum is given. I think she she doesn't want it um but it just feels like when we get into a zone of ambiguous gender like asylum is less likely to happen than if you have mm -hmm. an identifiable either male or female gender mm -hmm. yeah yeah that like our our main characters are also sort of seeing them as less than people and not giving them human rights. Yeah. Um, oh, man. I, okay, I so just like this comment. It would be terrible policy in our world today if we denied asylum to an individual from an oppressed gender sexual minority group because it might lead to social reform in their country. Yes. That I, that is not a good reason to deny somebody asylum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I mean, again, like similar 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 to uh, some of the other episodes we talked about like why are we considering like how this is going to impact the society where people are being oppressed like, like the, the whole the reason they're seeking asylum is because these societies are messed up and they're oppressing people like we mm -hmm. shouldn't worry about like if helping this one person is going to mess up their terrible society <laughs> like that would be a good thing yeah and then uh, staying alive to like speak from a distance is better than being dead in the place where they are, which mm -hmm. is like kind of the actual risk. So we're, so. we're running low on time, but we wanted yes. to talk quickly about wrongs darker than death or night, which is deep space nine uh, season six, episode 17 and um, is looking at uh sort of Bajoran ghettos, um, what they call refugee camps, but they're really not refugees. It's more akin to um, concentration camps. Can we say that as Jewish women? I think. I think so. Okay. Um, yeah. Also note here, content warning. Uh, we're going to talk about some like sexual reproductive harm. Um, yeah. So if you're not comfortable with that, just like the rest of this six minutes that we've got left, um, sign off. But yeah. But 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 yeah, we wanted to talk about. So we wanted to talk about this episode really quickly. Um, it's a it's a little bit different because she's not seeking asylum, but like they are refugees and they're they are refugees. Held, they're yeah. called refugees and they're held in camps the way we have people right now being held in camps at our southern southern borders where there are reproductive harm and um i wanted to like i i can just do a super fast summary basically so. kira uses some science bajoran magic to go back in time and finds out that her mother was taken from this uh, this camp where her family lived as Goldicott's lover and um, didn't actually die, comfort but like lived, with, yeah, but lived with Goldicott as a comfort woman. Um, 
a lot of stuff happens from there. Go watch the episode. It's great. But like, that's really all you need to know for the rest of our discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So we so, feel like yeah. we're justified in talking about this episode because they yeah. call them refugees, but they're not, they're actually under Cardassian, like, occupation. Right. Yeah. But what did you want to sorry? I'm just like, oh my gosh, we have so little time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What, yeah. Okay. what did you what did you want to say about uh the reproductive harm in the camps? Yeah, so thank you. Um in this episode, the the harm is that these women are like just kind of identified and pulled out from the from their situation and made to comfort the Cardassian officers. Blah, puke. Um and like maybe a little bit hacky of a segue, but I wanted to talk about things that are happening at the southern border, not so much as like people being coerced into like having sex under coercion, um, which I think does likely happen, um, but I couldn't find a lot of evidence for that. There is like anyway, but there is There's- solid evidence for people being. Uh, forced to have hysterectomies when they don't consent to doing that. And like, it's horrible. Forced sterilization is something that the United States has a terrible history of Mm -hmm. doing to black and brown and indigenous people. Mm -hmm. And we're just continuing in that mode today Mm -hmm. with people's uteruses being removed without their knowledge or consent. And And disabled people. It makes me so fucking angry. Um, yeah. So. I mean, I've been thinking about that a lot lately with Britney Spears and mm. uh, the fact that she can't remove her IUD. Um, and you know, she's just she's just one woman, and she's a very wealthy woman. But uh, like, what's going on with her is not is not new um, for for people who are uh, in her position. Yeah. Um, and in some sense, she's requesting asylum from her situation. She's like, get me out of this. She does not have autonomy or control. And and neither. I, know, I keep like, hoping that someone will like spirit her away to, to Canada and like <laughs> rescue her or something. <laughs> like an Italian job kind of heist. Like we're getting Brittany out. Um, but yeah. I, have, oh, I was, I was just, we have like two minutes left. Do we have any final thoughts? Do we have any questions we want to answer? Hmm. Yes. So call to action. Everybody who's watching this, if you want to take an action and do something about the, like, the current situation in the United States with immigration refugees and asylum seekers, I, this organization, Never Again Action, is a favorite of mine. They organize direct action at ICE facilities and and to like interfere in deportation activities. And there's a link there. I think it's going to go up in the comments uh, to click if you want to donate to them. They are a Jewish led organization and something that if you're a new viewer for us, Ryan and I are both Jewish. Uh, so we come at our intersectionality from a, from a Jewish angle. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Thank you for uh, sharing that resource. Um yeah, and thank you for do you did a lot of the the research on what's currently going on with refugees right now. And I just like want to thank you for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to thank Women at Warp for having us on. And uh, I hope that people kind of check out our our backlog. Um, we just yeah. released an episode recently talking about like pregnancy in Star Trek. So that's kind of cool. And I think probably next month we're gonna talk about like, queer villainy and the uh mirror universe so Mm -hmm. that's coming down the pike and kink (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah um yeah so thank you everybody for watching us today and um like and subscribe and (laughs) live long and prosper peace and long life